Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you all. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers could get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Visit uscellular.com for terms and restrictions. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and it's Valentine's Day, so I agree, yes, 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 I will be your Valentine. All right, I've given in, and uh, I like chocolates, I like dark chocolate, by the way, and I'm not uh, very partial to flowers, but uh, I'm okay with giving them out every now and again. Happy Valentine's Day, there's a lot of news going on uh, with respect to the shooting in Michigan yesterday, we're going to jump into that in a little bit. Uh, there's also uh, Diane Feinstein, who's announced the retirement of her extraordinarily long career in the United States government as a U.S. senator and uh, dating back to her days as mayor of San Francisco. But anyway, um, she um, started her uh, career during the uh, prehistoric era, and um, she's announced that that's coming to an end. So uh, kudos to her. Congratulations on your retirement. Let's see if Adam Schiff steps up. And let's see what happens with that. Uh, there's also um, there's also a, 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 a one-off story here about the uh, nuclear official from the Biden administration who became an alleged serial luggage thief. Well, <laughs> he's he's scheduled to be in court to face charges. And I think his name is Sam Brinton. So uh, I'll bring you an update on that in a little bit. Uh, but first, I wanted to start off with a Valentine's Day story uh, because obviously... This is uh, funny. So the, the headline here, this is in uh, BBC News, and it says, Valentine's Day, how fake dates are helping Indians find love and intimacy. Now, by Indians, they're talking about folks from India, and they're actually using something called a dating surrogate. Yeah, this is a real thing. And they're saying that because you could feel anxiety welling up inside of you when you sit opposite of your date, they... Um, they they started using now um, dating surrogates. That's an actual thing. Um, and, and listen to this, right? So they uh, they said, look, uh, one date tells the other dater, and it says, look, you don't have to be worried. It's okay if you're anxious, and you could steady yourself and be less nervous by clasping your hands under the table and taking a deep breath, because the person opposite the young lady who was on the date was a dating surrogate. Someone hired to go on a mock date with her, observe her behavior, and share tips and insights in real time for her to deal with anything preventing her from enjoying herself on a date. 
Now, her name is Akansha and says that she turned to a dating surrogate, a service offered to the by, listen to this, the intimacy curator, an online platform providing dating relationship and intimacy coaching services about three months ago. It's among a bunch of firms and apps such as Dating Accelerator and Have Me to Yourself, <laughs> uh, that's an app, that have come up in India over the past few years, pointing to a shift in the way relationships are formed and perceived in the, in the entire country. While the majority of Indians are opting for arranged marriages and premarital sex is mostly a taboo subject to date, these companies are teaching their customers new ways to date and fill and uh, fill in the blanks as they fall in love. So that's what's going on there, dating surrogates. So I just want to announce, in addition to my role as the head of trust and safety here at America at Night, I'm also the chief dating surrogate. Uh, so I am available as long as I'm not on the air for, for dating advice because this seems like an excellent gig. You go, you get a meal, you tell her, hey, listen, put your hands under the table, take three deep breaths, go to the bathroom, do a few yoga poses, you're going to be okay. I tell you, you can't make this stuff up. I'll put this out on social media, at Rich Valdez with an S, by the way, if you um, want to take a look at it for your perusal, uh, because this is interesting to me. <laughs> it really is. And throughout the evening, feel free to chime in with whatever funny, crazy, off-the-wall Valentine's Day story that you have. Happy to entertain those throughout the evening as well. But I wanted you to hear a clip of audio uh, onto some harder news, where um, the... Governor of California, excuse me, the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, uh, was speaking about this uh, horrific shooting that occurred yesterday. And we uh, brought you updates on it as it as it was unfolding yesterday evening. And uh, we now have a statement from Gretchen Whitmer. This is uh, clip number three and where she says, we know that this is a uniquely American problem of all the things you could say following a shooting. You have to say that. Check this out. We're all broken by an all-too-familiar feeling. Another place that is supposed to be about community and togetherness, shattered by bullets and bloodshed. We know this is a uniquely American problem. Today is the fifth anniversary of the Parkland shooting. We're mere weeks past the Lunar New Year shooting at a dance hall, and a few months past a shooting at an elementary school in Uvalde. And looking back at a year marked by shootings at grocery stores, parades, and so many other ordinary, everyday situations, we cannot keep living like this. Our children are scared to go to school. People feel unsafe in their houses of worship or local stores. Too many of us scan rooms for exits when we enter them. And many of us have gone through the grim exercise of figuring out who our last call would be to. So that's Gretchen Whitmer. And again, uh, this uniquely American problem that she refers to, I think this is such a, a, a poor way to do this. Everything else, I think, all right, it's, it's fair. Um, you want you want to be soft and, and empathetic towards uh, those that have lost their loved ones. I mean, God, I mean, these are college kids. Um, I, I understand that as a dad of a college kid. You know, it's, it's horrible. I can't even imagine it, honestly. But it seems like some people, and again, there's an old saying from Rahm Emanuel, former chief of staff at the White House, former mayor of Chicago, where he said, um, you never let a good crisis go to waste. And it seems that so many, and they happen to mainly be Democrats, interestingly, tend to usually embrace this as a, as just a way of doing things where they just, they never let anything slide. 
it's, I don't know if it's their, their altruism and they really think that, that, you know, somehow America is the blame and the problem. Um, listen, I believe that there are shootings, stabbings, people getting run over all over the world. Uh, do we have more guns in America than everywhere else? Absolutely. It's why we have more freedom in America than everywhere else. And a lot of people argue that, but uh, I'll stick by that because that's the formula, right? There's a First Amendment. There's a Second Amendment. The first one says, say what you want and pray to whoever you want to pray to and do it in public. And the second one says, have guns to keep the government from running amok and setting up shop in your house and doing what they did back in the days when the Redcoats were in charge. So, again, oversimplification, granted. But uh, this isn't about hunting, and this is not an endorsement or, or any uh, uh, approval of, of people shooting other people. This is not the right thing to do, clearly. But you can't go and say, well, that's, that's a uniquely American problem. You could say it, but I don't think it's going to – I think it falls on deaf ears, and it just angers the others that hear it. And it's unfair. It's unfair to the country and it's unfair to those that are, that are fallen today. Anyway, uh, straight ahead, we're going to speak with someone that knows a whole mess about Michigan. Tudor Dixon, she was uh, the candidate for governor in this past election. And we're going to talk to her about that and the unidentified flying object that got shot down over Michigan, as well as what is going on with China. So don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. This tragic situation unfolded shortly before 8.30 p.m. Uh, the first call that we received was from Berkey Hall. Berkey Hall is an academic building on our northern campus that borders downtown East Lansing. Initial calls reported shots fired in that building and there was a absolutely overwhelming police response to that initial call. We had officers in that building within minutes. And in that building, they encountered several students who were injured. We can confirm that two of the deceased were in Berkey Hall, along with several of the victims. While the officers were managing that scene at Berkey Hall, we began receiving additional reports of another shooting at the MSU Union Building, just to the west of Berkey Hall, right on the corner of Abbott and Grand River. Officers redeployed to that location where we did locate one additional victim. We do have three total deceased and five uh, victims at the hospital. We can confirm that all three deceased were MSU students. We can also confirm at this time that all five of the injured victims at the hospital were also MSU students. Wow, that's a, that's a lot to take in, and um, it's absolutely horrible. Uh, 
leaves me speechless, as I said, as a dad of somebody that's in college. It's, it's horrible. But I, I want to welcome uh, Tudor Dixon. You, you know her from her campaign for governor in Michigan. Uh, you've seen her on television. She's a terrific talent. And she's with us now because she knows Michigan. Tudor Dixon, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Uh, I, I honestly just listening to that really kind of just messed me up. You hear that stuff. And it's just it's horrible to hear. Uh, what's the the feeling on the ground in Michigan? You know, it's devastating. I mean, it, it, like you said, as a parent, you think about your own child and what you would be doing if you were getting these calls or seeing this on TV. And last night, you know, when you're in the state, we I started getting messages from friends saying, you know, my child's contacting friends on campus and back and forth. One of the kids had gotten away and lost two of his friends. And the mom was sharing the story that he's just, just today is going through this survivor's guilt of going through in his mind, what could I have done? What should I have done? And you know that that's the kind of stuff that replays in people's heads after a situation like this. And we have to ask ourselves, what could have been done to prevent this? And, you know, oftentimes we're talking about, well, what do we do once that first bullet flies? But we can go back and say there are preventative measures that could have happened ahead of time. And I I think what a lot of people need to understand about the situation at MSU is MSU is in Lansing, Michigan. It's the 17th most violent city in the entire country. So while we are shocked about this as a nation, we should be saying, why are we allowing all of this violence in our cities anyway? Why does it take a tragedy like this that makes us go, wow, wait a minute, now we have to do something? Because this is a man who, had he been prosecuted as he should have been, we may not be here today for a previous crime. Yeah, it really is. It's horrible. And I just want to remind everybody, the uh, the gunman here uh, is a 43-year-old suspect uh, named Anthony McRae. Uh, I'm 44. I just could not imagine going and, and shooting a bunch of college kids. Do you? Is there any update that you may have heard of that I haven't heard of uh, on why this whole thing happened? I have not heard of a motive at this point. What I have heard, I mean, we know his record that in 2019 he was arrested on felony uh, gun charges. He was then able to plead down to a misdemeanor. That felony would have, if he had been convicted of that felony, he would not have been able to purchase this gun. We also know that he was well known for target practice out of his back door of his home and that the police reports say that the police were called to his home several times saying people were concerned about his gun usage. And so this is, so there were, there were concerns around this person. This was already somebody that was being watched by law enforcement. Again, so often we see these situations where we go, man, it, it might have been preventable had we followed the law on the books, but we have a rogue prosecutor there that has, I mean, one of the things she ran on was not putting people in jail. That's Mm. catastrophic. And guess what? When that's what you decide, that's what you run on, then you should not be surprised when it's in the top 20 most violent cities in the country. Those are the results of not following the law. Tudor Dixon, I know that uh, you ran an incredibly spirited campaign for governor, and uh, and I was rooting for you from, from, from my end over here. But w- when you see things like this and, and you see that you've got these 
pro-crime prosecutors that refuse to do their jobs and put the bad guys in jail or even enforce the laws that will protect the innocents. Uh, what, what's, what's the fix other than getting rid of them and putting the right person in the job? Is there a, um, a legislative fix that you've contemplated? I mean, I think people want answers, and I think you're right. This is, this is today being um, magnified in the media. But being the, in, in the top 20, the 17th most dangerous city in America, this is clearly an ongoing problem. Well, if you look at how George Soros works, he, he looks for a way to create as much chaos in the country as possible. And so he figured this out a long time ago, that if he focused on the elections of district attorneys, of attorney generals and prosecutors, that he could impact the entire country. If he could get these people elected that were really soft on crime, he could impact the entire country. And we're focused, as conservatives, we're focused on... We're, we're focused on elections that are lawmakers, that are executive offices. We have not historically been focused. You've seen a turn a bit in the school boards. We need to do that same thing when it comes to district attorneys and make sure that we are taking crime seriously. And that is one of the things that we ran on was that Michigan is becoming incredibly dangerous. We have four cities in Michigan that are in the top 20 most violent cities in the entire country. This is, we are becoming the California of the Midwest. So we have these prosecutors. Now, I will say that our attorney general in the state of Michigan, Dana Nessel, is a Democrat. She had came out today and, and put out a tweet saying, are we allowed to, to go after gun crimes now? And that was in response to the fact that this prosecutor let him off for this crime. And so I, I give kudos to her for saying for pointing out the fact that there was an opportunity to get this person off the streets, at least for a time, and maybe evaluate what was going on with him before this happened. And, and that opportunity was lost. And now we have three lives lost. We have five people in the hospital and endless lives beyond that that are permanently affected by this. So when I hear people come out and say, we've got to get serious about gun control and all of these things that you're hearing immediately the politicos come out and they start their talking points mm -hmm. on gun laws. Wait a minute. What about the laws that we have on the books? I mean, should we even be so concerned that they're going to take away every gun when they don't enforce the laws that are on the books? Why don't you try that and see if it's effective before you start throwing out other ideas that are not true solutions to the problems that we have? And, and again, I just want to remind the audience, we're talking about uh, Ingham County Prosecutor Carol Seaman, who um, ended mandatory sentencing for felony firearm charges in the name of race and equity and allowed this guy to kind of be free and get a gun. And now look at where we are. Folks, we are on with Tudor Dixon. Uh, she was a candidate for governor in Michigan. We're going to talk a little bit more about what is going on with China, what is going on with the flying saucers, the unidentified flying objects, and one of them was shot down over Michigan. So we're going to talk about that as well. More to come straight ahead. The phone number is 833-4-VALDEZ. If you want to join the conversation, our guest is Tudor Dixon, and we are coming right back.
Named one of the best personal finance podcasts, The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. This is I'm excited. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. president took this action, as I mentioned earlier, because uh, the objects were indeed flying at low, uh, lower elevation and they were in civilian airspace. And uh, we wanted to make sure that we protected uh, that airspace. All right. So that's uh, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre uh, announcing that uh, we we're shooting things down here. And I feel like I've said before, I believe that this is because Biden himself uh, feels that um, he's emboldened. He puts on his aviator shades. He's like, let's shoot them all down. Get my shotgun, Jill. But uh, we really don't know what, what in fact is going on here. And um, we're about to find out what Tudor Dixon knows. And she's at Tudor Dixon on social media, former candidate for governor of Michigan. Tudor Dixon, what's happening over Lake, Lake Huron and, and with what happened in Michigan with this uh, UFO? Well, obviously we see that this, floats over. Well, it seems as though potentially it was in the Lake Michigan airspace. And then we have the air airspace shut down there. It goes over to Lake Huron. We know that there were two missiles, essentially two two shots taken at this and it was downed on the second. And so that's the excuse from the Biden administration now for why they didn't shoot down the surveillance balloon, because they're saying, oh, you know, we never know if we'll get it the first time. What could potentially happen? But, man, we're all sitting here saying, what is happening? And why hasn't the president come out and addressed this? I mean, unheard of. You know, we know Mm -hmm. Justin Trudeau comes out and says, the Americans came up and thank you for shooting down our object. Now, remember, we just know these as objects still. Right. I mean, we're we're days out of this now and we've gotten no information weeks out of this for the spy balloon, no information from the administration on this whatsoever, but we're assuming and and maybe wrongly assuming that if the first was from China, then these other three are likely from China as well. But, but we really don't know. And so we've been told they had no system of, of, to to propel them whatsoever, but they were still somehow floating in the air. So now you have the people that are out there saying, well, they could be UFOs. I mean, this is for for the administration that's all about no disinformation. They certainly are letting the theories run wild here, and they don't want to clear this up. Isn't it funny how everything else has to be cleared up right away? And this is like, 
you know what? Let's just let people run wild with this one. We're going to let this one go. So what is it that they don't want to tell us about this? But then the, the other thing that we're all wondering is, why are we just seeing these now? And we keep hearing, well, we've made a bit of a tweak to the radar, and now we can see a whole lot more. It's like, what else has been floating up there for how long that we were just, you know, what, 20 years behind on this? How could right. this happen? Yeah, I, I find it I find it interesting, too. And I guess maybe my uh, my expectation for our government is too high. Uh, but I, I just find it fascinating that, you know, all of a sudden, um, to use the expression, they get caught with their pants down and immediately they start saying, well, no, 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 this has this happened in the last administration. These things have been around forever. You know, and we're just getting around to shooting them down now and talking about them now. I, I just find uh, there to be such a problem with transparency uh, with with this administration where you had the commander of NORAD yesterday saying, we don't know if it's aliens or extraterrestrials or whatever. Um, too early to tell. <laughs> and then Kareem Jean-Pierre well, says, be- absolutely no aliens. And because it's not as though they're saying, yeah, we've spotted a few more on radar. We're watching. We are scrambling jets and shooting these things down. So that's not, you don't do that lightly. And, and if the administration is making these decisions to scramble jets into another country, through our country, and shoot these objects down. They're taking this very seriously, and I think that's what leads to this anxiety across the country when we don't hear from them, when the president doesn't address the country and say, hey, just so you know, yeah, we did scramble jets. This is what's going on. This is what I can tell you right now. No need for alarm. But no, we're hearing nothing, and this is a military operation in the U.S. and in Canada that's why people are going, you know what, I, I think I'm, I'm going to be a little concerned about what exactly this is because we're, we're operating jets without telling the American people why. Yeah. And, and again, the White House, uh, or at least Admiral Kirby, on behalf of um, his role with the National Security Council and whatnot, uh, he says that we haven't seen any indication or anything that points specifically to the idea that these three objects were part of the People's Republic of China. Uh, and their spying program. The White House National Security Council um, issued that statement to reporters and also saying that they were d- definitively involved in external intelligence collection efforts, but they do believe that um, the, um, let's see, they could be balloons or simply tied to commercial or research entities and therefore benign. So my question is, are we just shooting stuff out of the sky now? <laughs> and like, you know, is this some kid with a drone? Uh, I, I'm just so so puzzled here. If, if they're benign, why are we shooting them down? Uh, if we're shooting them down because they're benign and they're in the wrong place, then maybe we should say that, right? Am I wrong here? This The problem is this is the same administration that's saying, yes, you know, don't worry about it. Hunter Biden is a prodigy with a straw painting paintings, and they're definitely <laughs> worth half a million dollars, you know? So, so, of course, we're going, what's the truth? You know, we, we cannot, we have no ability to trust these people whatsoever. And that's really where the problem is, is that the country doesn't trust the government. And obviously, you know, you have that going on from time to time. But now we, we're kind of at a breaking point with the country not trusting government. And that's, both sides, you know, what classified documents here and there, and all of this noise going on. This situation in Ohio with the train derailment, and everybody's like, what is going on? You've got the Secretary of Transportation out there like, there's too many white guys in construction. <laughs> We're like, hello? 
what are you going to say about whether or not these people can go back to their homes? This is We're talking about a true crisis here, and it's being completely ignored. So when you leave your people with no information, panic ensues. And, and we just went through a real trauma across the globe with COVID and wondering, and all of the questions that we had there, wondering whether we were safe. Now we, we've asked you know, why hasn't Joe Biden gone after China for that and asked them, you know, give us information on what happened there? How did how could this possibly happen? So why would we trust him when the first object is supposedly from China and then the, the next three we're not going to get any, any information on? And, you know, let me point out that in the midst of this, you've got Gretchen Whitmer, who is on CNN with Jake Tapper, and he's going, don't you think that maybe it's not a good idea to use TikTok after even Chuck Schumer <laughs> yes. has come out and said the federal government should ban TikTok. And she's like, you know what? I've got a special burner phone. It's cool. Don't worry about my TikTok. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Everybody, we're on with Tudor Dixon. She's at Tudor Dixon on social media. And um, she was the uh, candidate for governor in the last race for governor of Michigan. And speaking of China, I want to get into this uh, Ford Motor Company announcement. And we're going to do that straight ahead. So stick with us. Uh, the phone number is 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Our guest is Tudor Dixon. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S, by the way. The phone number is 833-4-VALDEZ. Our guest is Tudor Dixon, at Tudor Dixon on social media, if you want to chime in that way. And we're talking about what happened with the, uh, maybe it's Chinese, maybe it's not. It could be anything you want. We don't know what it is, but it's not aliens, according to Karine Jean-Pierre. And um, speaking of China, we um, have this situation with EV batteries and a plant that's scheduled to open in Michigan. Uh, it, with um, all sorts of things with Ford Motor Company. Uh, Tudor Dixon, tell us what's going on here. Yeah, it's pretty bizarre because we are now, Gretchen Whitmer is trying to make Michigan the epicenter of Chinese activity in the United States, which is pretty scary when you think about what we're talking about with these objects flying around over Canada, over the United States. Michigan's right between those two. So she has already approved one battery plant that will come here and get 715 million taxpayer dollars to motivate them to come to Michigan. So this is a Chinese owned factory. This is not the Ford. This is a different one. Chinese owned factory ties mm -hmm. to the Chinese communist party going to come into Michigan. And, 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 you know, people in Michigan went nuts. They said, what are you, what are you talking about? How could you bring the Chinese into our state and take that risk? Well, you know, she's like, I, I've got an urgent TikTok to do, so I'm going to have to <laughs> hold on that. So, so then with the, so then this Ford situation that we've got going on, uh, Governor Youngkin, I think, is the best guy to explain this because he told Ford take a hike. You're not bringing in a Chinese company here. You're not going to tell me that you're all environmentally friendly, but you're going to bring in a company that is owned by the Chinese who are all about polluting the world 
slave labor and child labor. No way. And and he said no. And Gretchen Whitmer was like, bring it on. We're so desperate for jobs. The sick thing about this is that it's being touted to the people as this is Ford. We are giving a billion dollars of incentives to this wow. company to come here. It is not Ford. It is a partner of Ford, a partner of Ford that is owned by the Chinese, again, ties to the Chinese Communist Party. Think of the irony of this. We are going out and telling people we are so awesome. We're making electric vehicles. We are saving the world. Meanwhile, we are taking a billion dollars from the Michigan people to give to a country that is destroying the environment that is using children in labor that is using slaves and harvesting people's organs it's outrageous the human <laughs> rights offenses from that country alone should yeah. be enough to say no but how is this environmentally friendly right and again i just want to reference for everybody listening the company we're talking about is china's contemporary amperex technology company limited also known as catl known for lithium-ion and phosphate uh, expertise in making these batteries for e electric vehicles. So, Tudor Dixon, what happens? What, what happens moving forward? Well, in Michigan, we're, like I said, we're going to be a hub. It's sad because even the people of Marshall are saying, actually, we don't have the capacity to do this because Michigan's been pretty decimated by the pandemic. We've lost a lot of people. We've lost restaurants. We don't have we have a housing crisis. We don't have builders here. I mean, we are in a big, big disaster here. So economic development should really be homegrown American economic development. We should be bringing companies here into communities that can sustain them and build them up. But Gretchen Whitmer has never had an economic development plan. So as you're seeing, as we're going through this discussion, she doesn't have a plan for crime. She doesn't have a plan for economic development, and she's not smart enough to consider national security. It's a real danger to have somebody like that in a position of chief executive officer of the state. But we see that she is planning a run for higher office. It looks like president sat next oh, to a guy on the plane the other day who's part of the DGA, and he said, oh, yeah, she's going for president. Someone who doesn't consider national security should never be considered for that position. Yeah, look what happens. Joe Biden. Right. It's a horrible situation. Uh, man. All right. So um, she, she might be a little sharper than him. I'll give her that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you, this is this is scary stuff because I mean, I'm looking at this. I remember when there was spying going on in Texas from the Chinese. I know that they have a lot of influence in California. They have a lot of influence in New York. And it seems like they're trying to get every corner of the country. Now they found a darling in the Midwest in Gretchen Whitmer. And it's uh, shocking to say the least. Yeah, we better make sure that she's not making any straw paintings anytime soon, or we'll have to question how she's getting money from the Chinese, too. <laughs> she's not getting a half a million from me. Tudor Dixon, let everybody know how they can uh, buy one of your paintings, if they'd like. Yeah, well, please please follow me on Twitter, at Tudor Dixon. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and we've got a new website out there, the themidwesterner.news as well, so check that out. That has a lot going on, a lot of the great news going on around the country. Outstanding. Well, I want to thank you for being with us tonight. Uh, excellent analysis. Keep up the good work. I hope you run for governor again. I hope you're able to get rid of Gretchen Whitmer. And I hope you, you don't replace her and then she goes and runs for president. <laughs> that would be catastrophic. I agree with you there. Thank you. <laughs> All right, everybody. That's Tudor Dixon. Thanks again, Tudor. Thank you. It's been fun. You bet.
All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue our discussions on Valentine's Day, plus all of the news of the day, plus your calls, 833-482-5337 or the Legacy Line, 866-505-4626 is that phone number. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. of hair in live late night radio six years in a row it's rich valdez all right america welcome back excuse me i was just fixing my hair anyway if you want to give us a call it's 8334valdez or hit me on the social media at rich valdez with an s at rich valdez and uh earlier i mentioned that um the non-binary former Biden official Sam Brinton is scheduled to appear in court to face his luggage theft charges. And I wanted to give you a little bit of an update on that. He was a uh, senior Department of Energy official, and he's facing uh, charges for theft from stealing luggage at an airport. And uh, he'll be in court uh, manana in Minnesota. Now, back in October, Brinton was charged with stealing a woman's uh, bag, a, a luggage bag, for it was worth $2,325 and it was near the baggage claim area at a Minneapolis airport or a Minneapolis St. Paul airport, MSP. Back in September, he was um, fined uh, or I think charged and then in, in, uh, in, in court and the penalty, $10,000 fine. So he's, he's gotten caught twice with this already and this is a big deal. So he's going to be going to court. And uh, we're going to keep you up to speed on that. And this is the guy, if you don't remember, he's a gentleman, uh, at least appears to me to be a gentleman that wears high heels and wears a beard and he's got a bald head. Uh, no, I'm not talking about me in heels. Don't get fresh. <laughs> but this guy, uh, I'll put this in the, on the social media as well so you can take a look at it because I think it's, um, it's good to be informed about what's going on, to say the least. Right? That's Sam Brinton going to court. Biden's guy. All right, we will continue here. Now, the uh, other clip of audio that I want to play for you is on the latest announcement for the race for the White House on the Republican side, where former South Carolina governor and ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley, has announced her presidential run. Listen to this. Some people look at America and see vulnerability. The socialist left sees an opportunity to rewrite history. China and Russia are on the march. They all think we can be bullied, kicked around. You should know this about me. I don't put up with bullies. And when you kick back, it hurts them more if you're wearing heels. I'm Nikki Haley, and I'm running for president. All right. So Nikki Haley's also wearing heels, along with Sam Brinton, the Biden official from the Energy Department. And she's running for president. He's going to court. She's running for president. And it's interesting that, you know, she's talking about bullies and whatnot, and she's taking this tough guy approach. And I've already seen some, um, you know, there seems to be a, a warm reception for her. Others are, you know, not so warm reception. Uh, so it, it's it, it's going to be uh, telling. I, I, I personally like her. I always have. I know a lot of people think, uh, you know, she sold out Trump, but when she left, Trump was extremely gracious and he's never, I've never heard him really, um, take her to task on anything, but I'm sure those days are coming, uh, now that, you know, she's in the race against him. 
but she has officially announced her race. So I'd love your thoughts on that as well. Uh, in addition to your most off-the-wall Valentine stories, uh, I would love to hear about, and, and you can call anytime, um, as long as we're, you know, able to take the call, I will. But I'm, I'm interested in knowing what your thoughts on Nikki Haley are. Uh, I, I do, like I said, I do think she's a very effective politician and I like her, but uh, I'm interested to see what the field is thinking. Now, uh, Governor DeSantis, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who um, the great one Mark Levin has dubbed America's governor, and I have uh, adopted this term because I think it's a good name. He's really one of the few out there, and there's a couple of others, but he's really, uh, I'd say, the most prominent in grabbing headlines and doing the right thing for Florida time and again. And I think that's terrific. Uh, Let's see if we could play that audio. Do we have enough time for that audio? All right, listen to this. Presidential run today, do you plan on following suit? (laughs) Wouldn't you like to know? (laughs) All right, so that's a member of the media saying, uh, hey, look, Nikki Haley announced her run for office. Are you going to follow suit? And DeSantis says, wouldn't you like to know? I mean, he's great at handling the media. He does a great job. So uh, let's see what happens, how this unfolds. uh, And let's see how Donaldus Magnus El Trompito responds to this. Anyway, more to come straight ahead. We're going to have a a discussion on relationships coming up. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Happy Valentine's Day, and um, I'm happy to um, welcome Dr. Jennifer Gutman from Argentina. She's joining us on this Valentine's Day to discuss her book, Beyond Happiness, The Six Secrets of Lifetime Satisfaction. Dr. Jennifer Gutman, welcome to the program. Hi, Rich. Thanks so much for having me, and happy Valentine's Day to you. Thank you. Now, before we get to anything, I I happen to love the wine that comes from the Mendoza region of Argentina, the Malbec. Are you? Is that where you are? Are you near Mendoza? Where are you? That is actually where I am. I'm sitting in a house right now in Mendoza, and I've been drinking a lot of Malbec. Oh my goodness! (laughs) Nothing better. It's fantastic. I agree. The only thing better than sipping Malbec is sipping Malbec with a really good steak, which you're also going to find in Argentina. Yes, it's amazing. The food here has been, I mean, almost as good as the wine, but 
both the food and the wine has been fantastic. I, I love it. It's been great. Outstanding. Well, happy Valentine's Day to you. Uh, let us um, talk Thank about... You. Uh, well, let me first let me ask you this question, and then we'll go jump into the book, because I started out earlier in, in the first hour of the program uh, with an article from the BBC, and I found it to be interesting because it was saying that in India there's a trend now of hiring what they call not fake daters. They call them dating surrogates, people that they hire to go on dates and, and kind of coach them along the way. Is this a common practice outside of India? Have you heard of this? I have not heard about that coming here good. as of yet. That's news to me. <laughs> I have not heard of that. <laughs> All right, good. It, it, it gives me comfort. <laughs> I was letting the audience know that I am available to be their next dating consultant because, I mean, who wouldn't want that, right? They treat you to a meal and just say, hey, relax, take it easy. It's going to be okay. Um, and, and I'm guessing. Yeah, let's do it. We'll bring it to America. So tell us a little <laughs> bit about your, um, your, your, I guess your, why did you get into doing what you do with with couples and marriage and relationships? Well, the, uh, the book isn't about couples and relationships. What I primarily work on is about satisfaction. And the reason that I'm focusing on satisfaction is because if I were, let's say I were to ask you, are you happy? You might say yes, and you might say no, but you would probably have to pause to think about it. And the reason is that brains kind of bump along to reach an answer to that question because the question, question itself is confusing. It implies that happiness is a state of being, and people feel like they're supposed to say, yes, they're happy all the time, but happiness is an emotion, so it comes and goes. And, in fact, 40% of people worldwide say they're not happy. And so I had thousands of clients over the past 30 years come into my office telling me that they felt like they were failing at being happy, but you can't fail at an emotion and happiness is an emotion and it's not sustainable. And what is sustainable is satisfaction because satisfaction is a state of being and satisfaction is a belief in your ability to achieve goals, but only 80% of people felt satisfied in some areas of their lives some of the time. And I felt like we can do better than that. And that's how I came up with the six techniques that I talk about in, in my book and that I've been focusing on for the last five years in on stable life satisfaction. Outstanding. Okay, so let's, let's dig into that a little bit because I think that's an interesting concept uh, of people get drilling down on, on their actual satisfaction. What does the beginning of that process look like? Well, usually what I do is have people look at the six steps. So the six techniques are that people get caught up in either having trouble with making assumptions, people-pleasing, avoiding peers, putting off decisions, failing to complete tasks, and then having a difficult time reinforcing themselves for the positive efforts that they're making to continue on the path. And some people have trouble with all of them. Some people have trouble with some of them. I mean, when I mention them, you might notice that you might have trouble with, uh, with one of them or many of them. I know that I have trouble with some of them still, even though I've been doing this all of these years. And so the place to dig in is, you know, at the beginning with making assumptions, which is the first, or wherever a person feels like they're struggling with the most. What are, I guess, uh, walk us through what these six uh, steps are. So the first one is avoiding assumptions. Assumptions 
are an evolutionary byproduct of us as mammals. We look for signs of danger everywhere. It's our tendency towards a negativity bias. When we don't have enough information, we fill in gray space with worst case scenarios. We've all been talking a lot and you know, we talk a lot about negativity bias. We look at no information as negative instead of neutral, which means that we're biased in that, in that direction. Neutral and negative information all goes into the negative column and only firmly positive information goes into the positive column. So it's no surprise then that it's difficult to be satisfied. It's important that we try to retrain your, our brains that in the absence of actual information, that means it's neutral. And I tell my clients that unless you can present to a jury of your peers and convince them of accuracy of information that you're, you're acting upon, then it is neutral and we can't act on our predictions. For neutral information, we need to wait and not act on our assumptions. If you act, then you're acting a lot of times to solve for uncomfortable feelings, not to solve for a problem. And we can't solve for feelings. I, I could give you an example. A lot of people yeah. were going to thought spirals because it, around texting. Texting is a big problem with assumption making. So okay. I have a client who, for example, she shot off a group text because she wanted people to come to a party and one of her friends didn't respond and she was very anxious that that meant this friend didn't want to come to the party or there was a problem with their relationship and she was very tempted to send off a whole bunch of more texts to this friend for not responding and she ended up finding out that the friend had been called away to a business meeting was on a plane when she would receive the group text and if she had acted on impulse and reached out with all these texts that she wanted to based on her assumptions that would have caused social problems in their friendship. So it's really important to just sort of sit with the discomfort of the not knowing when you don't have a lot of information. Wow. That's a good point. I think a lot of people experience that, that same scenario, but in many different ways, what you're talking about forming assumptions and kind of, I guess, creating a negative uh, narrative that may not even really exist in the situation, but you kind of create it on your own by forming those uh, assumptions. So we're going to continue going down this list of the six secrets of lifetime satisfaction with Dr. Jennifer Gutman straight ahead. If you have a phone call and you want to join the conversation, uh, go right ahead with your questions. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ, or at Rich Valdez on the social media. Dr. Jennifer Gutman is our guest. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. Our guest is Dr. Jennifer Gutman. She's a clinical psychologist and motivator. You've seen her all over the place. Uh, Psychology Today, Teen Vogue, The Washington Post, and all over YouTube. If you want to check out her website, it's GutmanPsychology.com. And she's the author of a brand new audio book. It's an audible original, and it's called Beyond Happiness, The Six Secrets of Lifetime Satisfaction. And that's available for pre-order right now in hardcover on Amazon. 
Now, Dr. Gutman, I want you to continue uh, explaining these six steps and the six secrets of lifetime satisfaction. But I know that um, part of this plays into the the reason that people are hyper-focused on cuffing season or why they're more lonely during the winter. And being that it's Valentine's Day, I figured that would be appropriate. You are absolutely right. People are definitely lonelier in the winter. And we could talk a little bit about that, why people are lonelier in the winter, and then talk a little bit more about cuffing season. Uh, I think people are lonelier in the winter because people tend to isolate. We don't socialize as much. And social activity is really important for overall well-being for all of us. And it's, so it's important to get out there and meet with family and friends in the winter, make a mindful effort to do that be, uh, you know, intentional about it. People also tend to stop exercising and sit up, you know, stay on the couch and channel surf. We all tend to do that or spend too much time in bed. So finding an exercise partner is a good way to get out in the winter and that can elevate your mood. People tend to hibernate and be inside too much and that can lead to depression and anxiety when we're getting less vitamin D because we're not outside in the sunshine. And even if you can get out just for a little bit of sun, even on the coldest days, that could elevate your mood a little bit. So that, that can help with the loneliness in winter. And um, tell us how, how to continue implementing these six steps to, uh, to alleviate that, or at least to increase satisfaction. So in, in order to increase satisfaction, like you, you brought up cutting season and sure. you know, one of, one of the, uh, my techniques is people pleasing and you know we all like to be liked and, and loved and you know talking about valentine's day today's valentine's day i mean everybody wants to be liked and loved this is a perfect day to be talking about that and whether you are single on valentine's day or coupled up on valentine's day you know people want you know to be matched and people pleasing is one of the th- techniques that I, I talk about as being an issue in terms of lifetime satisfaction because there are people pleasing does interfere with people's ability to make authentic decisions in their lives. And there are two common misconceptions that people have when I say that I want them to reduce their people pleasing behavior. And one is that they think that I don't encourage relationships. And of course I want people to be social. It's important for our well being. And the second is that even though I recommend not subserving your needs to somebody else's, there are exceptions because we all exist in a social context. So there's multiple social contracts that we need to abide by. Like, I, of course, want people to, you know, do common chores like help each other with bringing in groceries and putting dishes away. But the right. question that I want people to be able to ask themselves is, did I come to this choice on my own? Because without giving into the shoulds, meaning today, am I doing this not for financial reward or praise from teachers, family members or significant others? So did I come to this decision for authentic reasons? Because if I came to this decision for inauthentic reasons, it's going to lead to resentment. And those are people pleasing reasons. And those things are what interfere with a person's ability to execute goals and be ultimately satisfied. So don't make assumptions. Don't be a people pleaser. What's next on the list? The next on the list is facing fears. And Mm. we all know how difficult it is to do that. And when people think about facing fears, I think that something important to think about is none of us also like to experience regret. 
And if you pair the idea of regret with facing fears, then it becomes a little bit easier to think about facing fears. And one of the reasons we don't like to face fears is because we feel that we can't cope with a fallout. But of course we can. Not only can we cope with the fallout of of facing a fear, but we have to. It's impossible to live a satisfying life if we don't face our fear because our competency lies within our fear. And if your belief in your ability to achieve goals is tied to satisfaction, then feeling competent is critical. So fear needs to be something that you embrace in your life like a co-captain in your life. It's important to wave off, not living on the edge of it. Strive for more each time you notice it's getting too easy. You want to be constantly in a position of saying to yourself, I did that. And although, yeah, sure, it's scary. I'm not saying run into traffic, but I'm talking about being in charge of your life so that you don't live it with regret. Right. No, it's a hundred percent. You know, once I, I met a, an older gentleman, and he told me a story in Spanish, Argentinian guy, believe it or not. And he, he yeah. told me a story, and he said, he said, ultimately, when you get old, you don't regret the silly things that you did as a young man. You always regret what you didn't do. And, uh, and, I and I, that. given that lesson as a as a young man, uh, I said, "Wow, you know, good, thank you." <laughs> it means I need to take more risks I, and do more things, and you know, not leave things on the table. I love that. Like, like, don't leave things undone because like you, you will, you'll remember all the things that you left undone. You won't remember this, you know, that's what you do remember. For sure. If we, if we go beyond facing fears, uh, what's the next hurdle that we cross? The next one is decision-making. People really struggle with making decisions. And the reason that we do is because despite the fact that decisions fall into a wide range, everybody thinks that decisions are super high stakes. Even if we look at the most minor decisions, let's take with classic, even where to go for dinner. People think that where to go for dinner is a high stakes decision. And instead of thinking about making the right decision, people think about decisions as right or wrong. Take the pressure off. Do the opposite. Assume you're just going to make the the wrong decision. Just make any decision. And (laughs) that will reduce paralysis because that's what everybody has. Everybody seems to have decision paralysis these days. One of my clients astutely called it analysis paralysis, which I loved. And I think that's a really accurate description of, of what happens when people try to make a decision is they just get very caught up in in overthinking each decision. And I think if you people sometimes try to take the pressure off of the decision-making by delegating the decision to someone else, but you can't delegate a decision for yourself to someone else because only you have your own DNA, so only you know what the right decision is for you. Now, Dr. Jennifer Gutman, with about two minutes to go, I want to pose a question to you from one of our listeners who's in Ohio, our buddy Paul, and he says his wife is on Facebook, and he's not. How does he get her to put the phone down for a while? What kind of decision does he have to make or what kind of fear does he have to face in order to get uh, a little more FaceTime with his wife? I think that I don't know how much they've been transparently and openly communicating with each other about his desire to spend more time with her. But I think that, you know, it's important that open communication 
she clearly likes to spend time on Facebook. He's feeling like he would even be a little bit neglected or out of touch with her. And I don't know how much he's been able to explain to her how much he misses some of that quality time. Maybe there's a way that they can negotiate some kind of deal about a combination of quality time and individual time. But I think that a lot of times things in a relationship are left unsaid, and I don't know how much they've communicated about it. But I would recommend to him to try to sit down and have a a conversation about it and see if they can come to some kind of negotiated plan so both of them can be satisfied. That sounds like good advice. Thank you, Doc. Uh, Now, I want to remind everybody, we're on with Dr. Jennifer Gutman. She's the author of a brand-new audible original book called beyond happiness the six secrets of lifetime satisfaction we got three of them tonight uh which was make the decision don't you know face your fears and uh that first one which was don't make those assumptions that could be really awful for you doc for for everybody who is um out there that wants to follow you where should they go you can go to GutmanPsychology.com. That's my website. And you can find all of my social media links there and also information on you got how it. to purchase either the Audible Original or the book. Well, thank you for being with us. I appreciate it. Happy Valentine's Day. Thank you so much, Richard. Pleasure. Happy Valentine's Day to you and everybody Likewise. out there. Amen to that. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. And uh, looking at all these headlines, you would think, man, things are in pretty bad shape. And uh, I, I would agree with you. I think things are in pretty bad shape. But there's always hope. And to discuss uh, his latest book, How to Save the West, Ancient Wisdom for Five Modern Crises, Spencer Clavin joins us. Spencer Clavin, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you so much for having me, Rich. It's great to be here. Thank you. Likewise, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Um, I, I love to geek out every now and again and talk about the culture and 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 really because I think if you don't process things through a a a lens or a worldview of some sort, uh, then you know things are kind of willy nilly. But once you know what you believe or where you stand, you look at things. You go, "Wow, this is really quite impactful for what's going on." So, um, in looking at your work, it looks like that's you know kind of where you you are, and you break down a few different areas. And uh, I'm interested in in hearing about it because I think more people need to take these things into consideration. So let's talk about your uh, your five crises that threaten the West today. Absolutely. Well, I think you're totally right, especially, you know, you were talking about how disheartening the news can be every day. It feels like we wake up and there's some new disaster. And uh, uh, what's even scarier, I think, for a lot of people is that these disasters feel really new and unprecedented. It's like we've never heard of a lot of this stuff before, especially with the way that digital technology is just transforming the way we relate to one another, the way we relate to the world. 
And what you said, I think, is really important that even though these things can feel disorienting, um, when you have a worldview, when you have an understanding of how we got here and, and, and our history, you can start to make sense of some things. And what's actually really interesting now is that as these things start to change, as technology starts to change, we're being forced back against some very fundamental questions, questions like uh, what is a human being and where is my place in the universe? Uh, is there a God? Can I believe in a God? And actually, those questions aren't new. Those questions have been around for many, many hundreds of years, really as mm -hmm. long as human beings have been on the planet. Um, and in a funny way, that's that's really good news because it means we're not alone. There have been great minds wrestling with these issues uh, for a long time. Some of the greatest thinkers ever to live have uh, addressed these questions and come up with some beautiful answers, some rich answers um, that come down to us through this tradition of the West, the great texts and philosophies of Athens and Jerusalem. And so I, in the book, what I do is I just try to invite people into that conversation, that longer conversation, by laying out five questions that are kind of deeper underneath the news cycle. And those are those, those five crises, those five deeper issues. The first one is the crisis of reality. And that's the question whether there's any such thing as true and false to begin with. Is there anything that we can believe in absolutely, no matter who says otherwise, or is it all just my truth and your truth and kind of relativism all the way down and using the yeah, work of the Greek right there real quick. Yeah. I, Cause I think this is yeah, hugely yeah. important. Uh, this is, you know, in my day to day life, I, I have friends that I talk to and, and they, they'll call me when they hear something crazy in the news and they're like, is this true? What's going on here? And, and you know, hmm. I give them my take on things, but I tell them, you know, do some research and see what you can. And they come back to me and they go, I'm even more confused now that I've done the research. Cause yeah. I found this one saying that, you know, let's just say social security, right? That Biden keeps bringing this up saying, you know, the Republicans want to destroy social security and the Republicans are saying, no, we had a blanket law that said, you know, let's look at things every five years. And if they're good, they stick around. And, and, and he's like, I don't know who to believe. Everybody makes sense. And, and, and obviously that's mm -hmm. the, the challenge of rhetoric and whatnot. But uh, it just is interesting that you, this is the first one you put there because I've always said it's very difficult to debate with anybody if you, you don't agree that you're both standing on the floor and the sky is above you. If, if there's some mm -hmm. crazy moral relativism going on, then who knows what truth is, right? That's completely right. I mean, we do. We live in this information crisis and everybody feels like they can't get good sources, especially, you know, it seems as if a lot of the kind of official sources that we used to trust have started to seem like they have their own interests at stake. And so people feel like, well, you know, how can we uh, know who to believe? But I think the real issue is less about, you know, this or that particular piece of information and more about those deeper truths that you were alluding to. Do we stand on the earth and look up at the ground? And even more profoundly, you know, are there moral truths? Is it wrong to take an innocent life, for instance? Mm -hmm. And when you chase it down to the, that bedrock, um, there really are things that we can either agree on, absolutely, um, or we really are just living in, in total relativism and chaos. Very few people, uh, if you really get down to it, are, are willing to take that plunge. You know, the, once you show them the consequences of it, the fact that that reduces all, all our conversations to power politics uh, and to just the struggle for, for power, most people don't want to live in that world. We know we don't live in 
that world. There are absolute moral truths. And if we begin from there, as the great Greek philosophers did, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle did, um, then we have a foothold and we can begin to uh, work together to proceed to find some solutions to those uh, secondary questions. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and it's a great starting place to figure out, you know, do we agree on truth and what is truth? And, and I, I really believe you're right. There is a crisis of reality and it, it's plaguing people. And uh, we're going to continue with Dr. Spencer Clavin and his new book, How to Save the West, Ancient Wisdom for Five Modern Crises, and the first of which was the crisis of reality. There's four more to go. Don't go anywhere. Stick around. You don't want to miss this. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And we're discussing the crisis of truth and some other crises uh, with Spencer Clavin. And um, I just want to mention here that the White House, uh, about an hour or two ago, uh, had a call with governors and said that there's actually thousands of objects in the skies that aren't aliens. And these could be used car lot balloons. And I'm thinking, huh, this is funny. You know, so we're, we're shooting these things down, but we're saying that they could be used car lot balloons. And if that's not a crisis of truth, I don't know what is. Spencer Clavin, we're going to continue. Uh, you were going on to the next crisis. Uh, go right ahead, sir. Oh, sure. Well, you know, when we start talking about things like absolute truth, it's, uh, it becomes clear, I think, very quickly that there is something beyond just the kind of here and now. There are, you know, eternal truths that we reach for, uh, truth, beauty, goodness. Um, these things are eternal, but what, what's kind of a problem is that we're not eternal. <laughs> we, uh, you know, yeah. uh, we are in the flesh. We break down and die. We suffer all these terrible problems um, in our bodies. And this is a very, very ancient problem of an ancient discomfort um, that has really risen up to the surface again lately. You look at what's happening uh, with gender dysphoria, for instance, among kids, this kind of trans extremist craze. Or you even look at the sure. kind of next level of this stuff, which is transhumanism, you know, the idea that maybe it would be better if we could just uh, transcend our physical human forms altogether. Our humanity is kind of an outdated model and we need to update to become kind of more robotic. Um, and what I show in the book is that this feeling, this discomfort has been around at least since the Neoplatonists, who were a group of Greek philosophers that followed on after Plato. And they had this sense that, you know, what we really are is spirits. We're kind of these pure divine sparks, and we need to get rid of our bodies or transcend them. But the thing about that is it never seems to work out very well. And there's a reason. The reason is, as Aristotle and Thomas Aquinas argued, what we actually are is embodied souls. We do have spirits, there is something more to us than our flesh. But the flesh, the body, is the language of our spirit, and it's through our humanity, through our embodied humanity, that we seek virtue and express all that is uh, good and true about us. This is why Christianity teaches the doctrine of the Incarnation 
because mm. our, our bodies aren't an accident. Our humanity isn't a mistake. And so uh, drawing on that wisdom from those earlier thinkers, I argue that you really ought uh, not to go down this road of rejecting our, our bodies. We need to live in the physical world, uh, not, not spend, spend so much time online, log off, um, and, and be in the here and now because that's where our happiness lies. And if we move forward to the next uh, crisis, because I think mm-hmm. it makes sense, the crisis of reality and this crisis of body you talk about, which is we could spend all day on transhumanism. That stuff is just crazy. Uh, but uh, sure. if we move on to there, what's what's the next yeah. uh, crisis that you mentioned? This is the crisis of meaning, and I think we're really getting to the heart of it here. You know, this, mm. these next two crises, actually, the crisis of meaning and the crisis of religion, they kind of go together because what's happened since the scientific revolution is you've developed this new idea that uh, really everything is explained by science. Um, the paleontologist Gigi Simpson said after Charles Darwin, um, all the good answers to the big questions were discovered and everything else became obsolete. And what I'm arguing in the book is that that idea has really failed. It has uh, kind of exhausted its usefulness. It's turned into what we call scientism, which is not the practice of knowing about the physical world. That's good and, uh, you know, longstanding tradition. Um, it's It's the idea that everything that exists can be boiled down to a mathematical formula. And in the crisis of meaning, I show that what this creates is a a sense that really there's nothing in the world except just kind of uh, evolution and and, uh, the survival of the fittest, a kind of struggle of all against all. Um, But we know there's something more than that. We know there's an absolute standard of virtue beyond that uh, physical struggle. And so we're always hunting after something more, which is what creates this crisis of religion, the need for the human heart to worship. Um, The Bible says, you know, that the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And sometimes we read that and we think that just means, you know, that it's dumb to be an atheist or something. Um, But the line is much more profound than that. What What it's saying is, if you tell yourself you don't have a God. If you believe that you're uh, that you don't have a religion, you're fooling yourself. You're deceiving yourself. You're making yourself into a fool because everybody gets out of bed in the morning with some kind of desire or goal or direction. The Greeks would have called this your telos, your goal, your final cause. And uh, that implies that there's some highest good that you're serving, something that ultimately you bend the knee to. And we started to see that, you know, when people who thought that they were secular were bending their knee to Black Lives Matter uh, protesters and begging for forgiveness, mm-hmm. for absolution. Um, we started to see it during COVID when people were saying, oh, I trust the science, capital S. And Dr. Fauci was saying, well, I represent the science, which kind of made him a cleric or this priest. Exactly. He Mm -hmm. embodied it. Um, This is this is the the longing of the human heart to worship the need uh, to have some highest good, some higher power. And so what I argue in the book is that, you know, if if you uh, are always going to be worshiping something, you might as well ask what's worthy of worship, what deserves uh, that fealty, that that loyalty. And it's a much saner answer that comes down to us through the scriptures and through the traditions of uh, Jerusalem, the, the Judaism and Christianity. That answer is is better and will set you free where the WEF and the CDC will inflate. Yeah. That's 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 pretty deep stuff, but it makes a, a ton of sense. And um, mm. it, it, it uh, I think the, the order you, you've set up here is is interesting because people are having these crises in their body and their their meaning and vis-a-vis with the crisis of religion because of the crisis of reality and this not understanding what absolute truth is. 
and uh, it, it seems to like a domino effect. That's right. It all hangs together. Once you start to kind of look at the world this way, as we began by talking about, um, when you understand that it's not just the daily news cycle, it's not just whatever happens to be going on today. It's actually questions that lie underneath the surface. Um, and those questions are all related. They all come back ultimately to this issue of ultimate truth. Uh, if there is an ultimate truth uh, and, and what kind of ultimate truth that that is, it leads us all finally to this question of, of God. And we've been told that's an obsolete question, that science has outstripped it, that there's no need for thinking about sort, these sorts of things anymore. But I think all the evidence around us is showing that that's simply not true. It won't do to reduce everything just to math or to mechanical formulae. Um, mm -hmm. We actually have hearts as well. We have souls. And that means that there's something more to us. Uh, that can be described by science and, and equations. So we ought to spend some time figuring out what that is. We're on with, uh, excuse me, uh, Spencer Clavin. I, I almost... Uh, <laughs> that's I almost, my dad. Yeah, that's your dad, yeah. Uh, who's also yep. with The Daily Wire. He's got a podcast there. And uh, we're talking about his new book. And the book is, there it goes, How to Save the West, Ancient Wisdom for Five Modern Crises. I'm really enjoying this conversation. I love philosophy. And, uh, and this uh, type of um, analysis where you look at things this way, because ultimately, I think that's really what it comes down to. Don't go anywhere. We're going to continue with the fifth crisis. And uh, I think this is how he's going to pull it all together. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, welcome back. We're on with Spencer Clavin. He's the author of the new book, How to Save the West, Ancient Wisdom for Five Modern Crises. And we've talked about four. We're going to talk about the fifth, but I want to make sure we leave a little bit of time in the few minutes we have remaining to talk about his piece uh, in the American mind on um, the uh, soul dysphoria with r respect to the trans phenomenon. So, Spencer Clavin, let's uh, try to cover the crisis of regime and and then see if there's a tie-in for that piece, because I think it's an important piece. Oh, absolutely. Well, the crisis of the regime is the one that's maybe going to relate most directly to most people listening. This is the one about politics. It's kind of, mm. I, I imagine a lot of people are thinking, you know, we've been talking about these big ideas. That's all very well and good, but how does it apply to my daily life? And that's where I kind of tie it all together in the end to say, well, given that we're suffering through these crises, what does that tell us about the problems we're having in America? And if we look back at the political philosophical tradition, um, what we can learn is that America is a very specific type of uh, machine. It's a kind of small C constitution that's designed um, to stave off some of the problems that other civilizations have had in the past, problems of oligarchic decay, people taking over um, and ruling for their own good, their own benefit. Um, the republic, which is what we are, is supposed to be a machine that divides power evenly among all these different groups. And the only thing that can bring a republic down is class warfare. So I make the case in the book that really the poison that we're up against right now is identity politics, this division of people into different uh, tribal groups as if, you know, you're inherently racist if you're white or you're inherently sexist if you're male. 
Um, that's the thing that tears us apart. And the solution is what the ancient Greeks would have called philia, uh, which is actually a word meaning essentially love, friendship, um, civic community among fellow citizens, which we find in our local neighborhoods. We don't find it in some big abstract fear, um, uh, you know, some national or, or digital space. We find it in the school board, in the church, um, in, our, in our local communities. That's where our rescue is to be found if we want to turn this country around. Yeah, well, that makes all the sense in the world. And, and I think it's, it's, it's of critical importance. And I think it is a, an interesting segue in the, in the minute and a half we have remaining of how mm-hmm. it plays into the the trans phenomenon. So I'm looking at the piece and I think it's, it's, it's well put um, what you put out there, but I guess give uh, the listeners just a taste of it. Yeah, absolutely. So that piece is actually adapted from the body crisis section of the book. So folks can take a look at that to get a taste for what's in here. Um, what I point out in the book is, you know, our, our materialist friends, our, our scientists will tell us, you know, it's the soul that's just an illusion. What we really are is just our bodies. But we all know that's not true. It's actually the opposite. We know that we have souls, emotions, love, desire, things that can't be reduced to a brain scan. And so the opposite question is really what people are dealing with, which is, why do I have to have a body? Um, and so that's why I call it soul dysphoria, because it's really a, a, the division between body and soul. And it's the lie, the old lie, that you can get rid of your body and just live in the pure region of the soul. That's why we're seeing so much discomfort all of a sudden with, with our, our physical body, especially with biological sex. Um, and, and the new kind of revolution in uh, trans extremism, which seems to have come out of nowhere, actually has deep, deep roots in this discomfort and uh, can be solved by returning to an older way of looking at things. Yeah, always take it back to the basics. Spencer Clavin's book, right. How to Save the West, Ancient Wisdom for Five Modern Crises. Spencer Clavin, I want to thank you for being with us. It's been enlightening. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. You bet. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. It's Open Phone America, and we're going to continue discussing this trans crisis. Don't go anywhere. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And by now, many of you are probably um, coming home or getting, if you're on the West Coast, you're maybe just getting seated for your Valentine's dinner. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody. And uh, no, we're not going to do an in-depth historical uh, analysis of Valentine's Day, but I do want to get your calls on some of your most memorable Valentine's Day uh, stories, you know, maybe an off-the-wall story. If you have one, give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337, or give us a call on the uh, legacy line, 866-505-4626. And uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing about that. And anything else you guys want to talk about, that's fine. But there's a few stories in the news that I want to go over. 
And this one is from the uh, other day. Well, first, let me reiterate the story I talked about originally, right? This is our Valentine's Day story. Listen to this. Valentine's Day, how fake dates are helping folks in India find love and intimacy. And yeah, it's a real thing. There's something called a dating surrogate that you can hire to go out on a date with you. And they'll tell you, you know, what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong. And they'll try and help you through the process, managing your nerves, body language, all of that stuff. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, I think this is going to be my new um, job when I'm not on the air is this dating uh, surrogate. <laughs> because, I mean, I'm, I'm presuming they're paying for my meal. And, I, you know, I like a good uh, ribeye steak, medium well, personally. And uh, I like to accompany that with a Malbec the Argentinian red wine that comes from the Mendoza region of Argentina. And I think, man, that's a pretty good deal. If I could do that a couple of days a week. Yeah, I do. I would eat steak a couple of days a week if somebody else was paying for it. Absolutely. And why not? Right. And uh, I could say, no, 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 no. You, you're, you're too nervous. You've got to loosen up a little bit. And, uh, you know, the, the rate in India for this 12,000 rupees or $145. So look at that. Not only do you get a free meal, you get 145 bucks as well. That's great. So uh, I'd love your thoughts on this stuff. Uh, if you've ever used this, I've known about this, because this to me is a very interesting thing to say the least. Uh, and we're going to continue our conversation on that as well. There's also a couple of uh, off the beaten path stories that that I want to talk about. Right. So one of them here is about a guy, right? This guy in Bloomington, Indiana. This guy reportedly sets his own car on fire why? To stop people from stealing it. Police responded to a report of a suspicious person just after midnight in the parking lot of Crawford Apartments on South Henderson Street. And the officer said he found a man standing next to a 1998 Buick that was on fire. The man, Austin Bristow, 26 years old, reportedly told the officer the vehicle was his and he'd set it on fire. Why? to stop people from stealing the items inside of it. Now, as police were talking to Bristow, the car became engulfed in flames and the fire caused several small explosions. At one point, Bristow reportedly said, I hope the explosions would be bigger as he watched the vehicle burn. <laughs> I wish there was video of this. Uh, court documents state that Mr. Bristow uh, started the fire by cutting the fuel line, dumping the gas and oil onto the car and setting a bandana on fire then throwing it into the trunk. I guess he's done this before. Mr. Uh, Austin th then uh, stated that if there were nothing left of the vehicle, there'd be nothing left to steal. And that's what the police put in his uh, probable cause affidavit. Police arrested him on the preliminary charge of arson. And when searching him, found several packed syringes and a yellow powder identified as benzodiazepine. I don't even know what that is, but I think I said it right. He then uh, was booked on arson plus the additional charge of unlawful possession of a syringe, hypodermic needle, and controlled substance. Wow, I didn't know it was illegal to, to carry syringes. They're all over the place in New York City. That's crazy. Well, anyway, so this guy steals, uh, he sets his own car on fire because of the crime problem in America. Now, if that wasn't bad enough, listen to this. Get, this just gets better. The um, the Los Angeles police have now launched an unarmed policing alternative. Oh, yeah. Get ready for this. They tried this in New York City. 
and they called them violence interrupters. Well, in California, they're now called yoga healing circles and meditation. So that's what's going to happen here. The initiative provides community intervention workers training to provide therapy, yoga classes, and meditation to those in the Los Angeles area that are homeless. So if you don't want to set your own car on fire, just call the meditation experts and they will help you. Unbelievable. I mean, this is one of those things that you can't make up, but it's it's the real deal and it's actually happening. So we're going to talk about that. I also want to talk about uh, John Fetterman, Senator John Fetterman from Pennsylvania. He, um, well, before I get to that, let me uh, give out the phone number again, uh, because this is Open Phone America. This is our third and final hour of the program on Valentine's Day. And I want you to be able to join the conversation, 833-505-4626, or the new number, 833-482-5337. That's 833-4-VALDEZ if you want to join the conversation. And uh, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on just about anything, but in particular, the um, the Valentine's Day stories. I think those are interesting. But uh, let's go to Frank in Cumberland, Maryland, WCBC. Frank, welcome. Uh, you do not have a college degree, you told us, but you have achieved great success as a, t- a call show host. That means you must be an excellent reader. Uh, could you pass some tips along on how to be a better reader so we can, your listeners can keep up with all these uh, writers that you're uh, interviewing? Oh, well, thank you. That's kind of you. Um, and, and that goes to a larger point that, yeah, I, I mean, I, I went to college. I did. I went to NYU and I dropped out. And um, I didn't like half the stuff they were teaching me, so I left. But the things that I, I've always read, classics. Um, I think um, the uh, things that stemmed from Aristotelian thought, um, Plato, and, and, and going outside of, of the Greek philosophers, but more into like the Enlightenment and those that informed the founding of our nation. So Sir Edmund Burke, uh, Alexei de Tocqueville, in particular, his... Um, his piece, what's the name of that book? Uh, Democracy in America. That th- These are, uh, I think, interesting looks on things that help to provide historical analysis so that when you're looking at the news of the day or whatever it is, you can have a sense of what was it that the guys that started this country, what they want to do to begin with. And not the least of which is obviously, I think, reading the Bible. Reading the Bible is um, uh, an excellent source of information, but not like, you know, um, uh, in a devotional way. Uh, I mean, in an academic way, reading the Bible for the sake of uh, exegeting the Bible and and using historical analysis from the, the stories in the Bible. And uh, and, and I, I did go to college for a bunch of years. I just you know never graduated and was like, hey, forget you. But um, yeah, I think those are the types of things that I, I kind of came up reading and 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 I just try to stay busy doing whatever reading uh, other reading. But I'll give you a tip on reading. Um, which, uh, and, and I appreciate your, your kind words, John Batchelor, right? He, he's a dear friend, uh, colleague and mentor of mine. Uh, he taught me to start in the back of the book. Uh, and I don't mean the back cover, <laughs> but I mean like the final chapter and because it creates a bunch of questions in your mind. And as you look at this final chapter of whatever book you're reading, whether it's something on the civil war or anything else, you, you now you're like, wow, you're getting all the answers, you're getting the recap, you're getting the summation, and 
lo and behold, you don't know the meat and potatoes of it. You don't even know the genesis of it. So it creates this kind of inquisitiveness in you where then you can kind of work backwards answering those questions. And it, it kind of mirrored something I was taught when I was a kid in New York City public schools called the SQ3R method of reading. And it stood for scan, recite, um, let's see, scan, review, recite, and I think it was recall. Um, but th- that was the uh, the method. And it also involved, you know, reading the, the, the questions in, in a textbook or whatever, and then going back and looking for those answers. And it made reading more intentional. And for me, um, being somebody that has ADD, uh, I guess they call me neurodivergent, I-, I always needed to have a purpose in my reading. It was never just leisure. I needed to be finding something or doing some sort of investigation into the material. So uh, th- those are my my tips or my hacks on reading. But I do appreciate it. And I, you know, being in this radio business, you do get sent, authors send you tons of books. And, you know, so when I see stuff that I think is good, I'll invite the author on to to join the program to kind of explain what they're doing. And uh, like the author of the last book, uh, really in-depth book, right? That's a book that you're not going to, you know, read in, in a single afternoon. You're probably going to take your time with it so that you can really apply it. Uh, so that's kind of my uh, my spiel on that, Frank. Thank you. You're welcome, sir. Thank you. I appreciate the call. We're going to get to the rest of your calls and the rest of these stories, the Fetterman story and the other Philly story, which is pretty funny, straight ahead. So don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. And look, I want to remind everybody that if you've missed any of the excellent interviews that we conduct on the program, you can always listen to the podcast, right? The podcast for for me, Rich Valdez, America at Night, you can find it on Apple Podcasts. I will tweet out a link and it's in my my Twitter right now or my Facebook. You can always take a look there uh, for the link as well. But there's a a, a great... um, Many, many interviews that are there that presuming, let's say, you're only able to catch the show for an hour or the affiliate you're listening to, that local radio station only carries two of the three hours of the program. You may want to listen to all three hours. Uh, I can tell you I I enjoy doing these interviews and uh, I get a lot of feedback from people saying they enjoyed listening to the interviews. So if you missed any portion, check out the podcast. Plus, my weekly podcast, This Is America, um, there'll be a new one uh, coming up really soon. So make sure you're subscribed to both of those. Now, I want to share a story with you. One of uh, our producers here, Count Delacula, he uh, emailed me this article from The Mirror UK, and here's the headline. My husband won't stop waking me up when I snore. I've had enough. This woman says she's had to contend with her husband repeatedly waking her up whenever she starts to snore. He's been doing it for years despite countless conversations, and she's now at her wit's end, right? So when she starts, he wakes up. <laughs> exactly just like that. And and now, in turn, he's promised, look, I won't do it anymore. 
he, he's only going to break his promise time and again, though. And for her frustration, he's now admitting that he continues to do it despite her pleas because the number of times she simply rolls over and goes back to sleep far exceeds the number of times that she snaps at him. <laughs> so this is the solution. And again, this is what happens after Valentine's Day, right? After that fancy dinner, after the, the flowers and the candy and the chocolates wear off, you get this, right? First comes love. Then comes marriage. Then comes the snoring. So they went to Reddit where she goes by the username uh, blah, 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 blah. The fed up wife said, I don't want to sleep separately all the time just because of this. But he's welcome to go sleep on the couch if he doesn't like my snoring. And uh, with uh, the, the rest of the quote here, I hate being woken up because I can hardly ever go back to sleep. Even when my baby was a few months old, I could mostly go back to sleep once I was awoken. Now, they continue this fight here. And uh, I'm wondering, is is that what's going on in most couples' marriages? And is this what happens when you, you're in in marriage? For me, I was the snorer in my marriage of uh, about 10 years. I was the snorer. So it was <laughs> like a wood chipper. I snore like a wood chipper. It's serious business. You know, you need two hands to roll me over. <laughs> just shut up, pal. But that's where it is, and I'm just wondering what what is your situation in family life? Anyway, let's continue our phone calls. Let's go to Noah in Fayetteville, Ohio, W-H-I-Z. Uh, Noah, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Good evening, Mr. Valdez. How are you doing? I'm wonderful, sir. What's going on? Excellent. Well, I, I wanted to go back to uh, one of your guests from yesterday. I can't remember his name, but it was the uh, blended family. Oh, Dr. Uh, Ron Deal. Relationship. Yes. Uh, I, I wanted to call last night, but I got busy uh, driving home from work and, and, and that sort of thing. My wife and I, when I met my wife 10 years ago, uh, our son was two years old. In order for me to build a relationship with her, uh, we made the agreement that I also had to build a relationship with him. Uh, and and any date that we went on, he was right there with us. Uh, he was included in all of that stuff. Uh, we, we might have gone on one or two dates where it was just the two of us, but our thought was if we wanted to make this thing work, then he had to be involved in it also. Now, before I asked her to marry me, I actually talked to him. Uh, he would have been about five or six at that point. And I, I had a conversation with him about how I loved his mom and how I wanted him to be part of my family. Uh, and I asked him if it would be okay if I asked his mom to marry me. And he was all about that. Uh, he, he didn't know who his uh, biological dad is, uh, ah. but from so in, from really in in, in his world, her, right? Being a two year old, meeting you at two years old, you're the guy that's in love with mommy. You you really fulfilled that that father figure role. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and at age four, uh, he, we, we were driving down a busy road here in town and uh, he told Oh, that's a shame. I think we lost Noah. 
But he brings up an excellent point. And and the point he brings up is that, yeah, there's some buy-in uh, that's needed. And Dr. Ron Deal did talk about that last night. And, you know, I, I wanted to get to the punchline here, which was, does she snore? Or are you the snorer? Which one of you is snoring? <laughs> anyway, uh, it, it was a very endearing story, and I, and I appreciate it. And I think it... it I don't know if, you know, doing it that way with having the kid on every date is is ideal for everybody. But I can say I think you need buy-in and uh, in order to have those types of decisions. And some people take the approach of, you know, no, you know what, I'm going to make up my own decisions and uh, the kids are just going to have to roll with it. And and I guess that's fair. But I think it's it's not really that thought out because you, you want these children or whoever is involved in any decision where there's various stakeholders, you want them to have an opinion. You want them to be able to chime in and weigh in and say, I like this or I don't like that. At least this way you know where the problems are going to be down the road and you can kind of identify that. So thank you, Noah, for your call from Fayetteville, Ohio, WHIZ. Big shout out to them. And we're going to get to the rest of your calls as well momentarily. Um, And I also want to get to uh, some of the, the news of the day, the other news that I wanted to get to. Uh, out of Washington, out of Philly, out of a couple other areas. But uh, I also want those Valentine stories. What's going on here? Is everybody sleeping? Is everybody at dinner? Uh, take a second and let me know what's going on on Valentine's Day. I want to know what is your craziest Valentine's Day story. Maybe you have a nightmare scenario. Maybe it's something nice. Either way, let me know. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. I am Rich Valdez. It's America at Night, and this is Open Phones Across America. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. I'm Rich Valdez. America, welcome back. And uh, we talk about a lot of politics on this program in the first hour or two. And, uh, you know, I'll do it every now and again. But, you know, on days like today, it's Valentine's Day and there's a lot of silly news out there. And there's other interesting uh, stories that I feel we got to take a little break every now and again. So we don't sound like every other program out there chasing the same exact stories. I mean, how much can I talk about four things getting shot out of the sky? Really? Right. I mean, there's this new story. That, listen, it may not be this, it may not be that. It might be a used car balloon. Come on. I mean, it's like they see stupid written on people's faces, and they, they're they going for it. But I want to talk about this story from a couple of days ago. Interesting to me. Uh, a top Fetterman aide, U.S. Senator Tom, uh, what's his name? John Fetterman, uh, says that the campaign might have caused permanent damage, and this is contradicting a doctor who's a donor and wrote a letter saying the exact opposite. This is in the uh, Daily Caller about three days ago. Uh, Top aide to Democrat Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman said Friday a Senate campaign might have caused permanent brain damage, contradicting the letter his doctor wrote where he said he can work full duty in public office. According to a report in The New York Times, Fetterman has been struggling to adjust to his new life as a U.S. senator. Fetterman, who was hospitalized Wednesday after feeling lightheaded at a Senate retreat, has reportedly been frustrated with the fact that he might have set himself back permanently by not resting enough after his stroke. 
The report says Fetterman is accepting that he might have permanent brain damage. The Times also noted that those that are close to him are worrying that he is still pushing himself too much and it could be detrimental. Back in October, Fetterman's doctor, Dr. Clifford Chen, and a campaign donor of his wrote that his physical exam was normal. His lung exam was clear. Heart rate was regular and his strength was normal in all four extremities without any strength or coordination deficits, according to the letter. However, Fetterman's chief of staff, Adam Gentleson, uh, told the New York Times that Fetterman's recovery might not be as smooth as they expected. What you're supposed to do to recover from this is to do as little as possible, said Gentleson, contradicting what Fetterman's doctor wrote in the letter. Fetterman was forced to do as much as possible. He had to get back to the campaign trail. It's hard to claw back that way, he added. Before the stroke, he was the kind of person who loved the give and take with reporters. Gentleson said the challenge is to be able to get back to that place given the current limitations. So... The doctor lied. Did he lie to Fetterman? Is it not a lie? Was it just a miscalculation? I mean, what is going on with the senator from Pennsylvania? Now, again, that's uh, not a breaking news story, but it's one that I wanted to talk about because I think it's it's important for us to know what's going on with uh, one of the 100 senators that we have here in the United States, right? I mean, this this is a guy that, you know, they were saying he was going to run for president. AOC was going to run for president. You got all sorts of people running for president. And uh, it seems like he's not even able to handle the job as a senator. And we saw that coming. Many of us did. I know I was vocal about it. Uh, I thought they should have voted for Dr. Oz. But instead, they voted for Fetterman. Anyway, I'd love your thoughts on that. 833-4-VALDEZ. What's going on in 2024? Let's go to... Uh, North Carolina and check in with Matt on WTKF. Matt, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hello, Rich. How are you doing? I'm doing great, brother. Happy Valentine's Day. You too. Now, my point was, which I asked Tom, your call screener. Yes, I Count Delacula, by your... the way. Okay, yes. <laughs> what, what is your opinion on <laughs> the... On what? Former South Carolina governor going up mm. against Trump. Who do you think is going to win? Ah, well, that, I would say, look, I mean, to me, it's this is Trump's to lose. I, I think he's the favorite, uh, you know, based on every poll I've seen, people that I've spoken with um, and and just past performance. He's a former president. So I, I think he, he's well poised to win in, in many ways. But it doesn't mean it's a shoe in. Obviously, it's it's a race. And there are popular options out there. You know, earlier we played a clip of Nikki Haley. We also played a clip of someone saying, hey, Nikki Haley has declared her intention to run for president. And they asked that question to DeSantis saying, "Um, are you think, you know, when are you are you going to follow suit? And he said, wouldn't you like to know? And um, I think that it's, you know, he'd be he'd be a very I I don't think he should run just because he just got reelected to being governor. Uh, but should he? I think he's a formidable force. And uh, I do think Trump can be successful across the board here. But those are just my thoughts, and I could be wrong. So Nikki Haley, I think, is a, I don't, haven't figured out yet her angle. Um, I've spoken with her once or twice in the past, I think, and she I think she's a lovely person, very charming. And uh, I just don't know if she's 
angling here to really be the president? Is she here to take out Trump and provide an agenda for America? Or is she saying, look, I'm America first. I want to be on Team Trump, uh, maybe as a vice presidential candidate. I'm trying to raise my national profile. I don't know what her angle is here. And uh, we shall see. Uh, maybe it's a little bit of both. I don't know. But do I think she could take him? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, and it's really just based on, I think, uh, popularity and uh, the, the folks that are going to be in a primary voting for Trump, I don't think are the same people that would vote for Nikki Haley. Right. I think Nikki Haley is is, is a, a, a very good option, but I don't think she she draws from the Trump crowd. So I think uh, it, it's his, like I said, his to lose. Matt. Got, I got you. Now, what are your thoughts? I think that uh, most people I know, which I won't even give you the number, there's too many, are all for Trump. Uh, that's, I don't know. Yeah, well, and that's that's where I'm at, too. I think most people are, uh, and again, other, look, uh, I think Mike Pompeo, he was on this show. I asked him if he was running. He said uh, they're, they're in prayer. They're, they're thinking of it. They haven't made any official statement yet. And uh, again, another person, former CIA director, former congressman, former secretary of state, lots of experience, very affable. The guy's quick on his feet, a very smart guy. Uh, but again, uh, is is that enough to take on uh, a former president? I, I just don't know. And I, I'm, I'm simply on the fact of a former president, like just, you know, Obama's a hero to so many on, on the left. Um, who wins in a debate between Obama and Bill Clinton? I don't know. I think Bill Clinton might still have enough gravitas to say, you know, uh, yeah, look, Barack's great. But uh, and, and these are two former presidents. And maybe that's something we should poll. Maybe I'll do a Twitter poll or something on that. Like, you know, when it comes to Democrats, which one do you go for, Barack or uh, Bill Clinton? That would be interesting to see how that plays out. But thank you, Matt. I appreciate you checking in from WTKF. Have a great Valentine's Day, you and yours on your end. Everybody across America also, I hope you had a great Valentine's Day. We're going to continue our conversation. Uh, and um, one of the things that I want to talk about when we come back is this um, story in uh, the Philly Voice. And they found a body in the creek but it turns out it might have been somebody's valentine. Yeah, there's more on that straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. So there was a body found in a Pennsylvania creek that turns out to be not a body, but maybe somebody's Valentine that never had a pulse to begin with. Yep, it was a doll, a lifelike doll used for adult purposes. The discovery happened on Sunday in Wyoming where investigators responded to a report of an extremely lifelike object in the water. Oh, boy. Ay, bendito. Now, police were called to the uh, investigation where a passerby thought they saw a person's foot protruding from water in a creek in northern Pennsylvania, but it turned out to be part of a silicone sex doll, according to authorities. The uh, police re 
responded to the small waterway and uh, reported that there might be possible human remains in a bag. A father and a child had been retrieving a ball from the creek when they spotted what looked like a human foot sticking out from the bag, uh, the, the uh, a plastic bag, according to what police said. So, um, yeah, somebody tossed their their um, Debbie Does Dallas doll into a creek. And uh, I'm wondering, was that on purpose? Did they get into an argument? Uh, you know, how, how does that work? You know, when you have one of those, what does it get dirty? Does it get old? Too much mileage? I don't know. When you toss it, do you throw it in the garbage? Is he embarrassed to throw it in the garbage? He threw it in the creek? I just don't know how that happens. Did he get drunk at a party and thought it was a real girl and decided, hey, let's dance, I get out of here, she falls into the creek. I mean, I don't know. It, it's so uh, interesting, to say the least. Um, so happy Valentine's Day um, to the uh, to the young lady in the creek. Crazy story out of Philly there. Now, I want to go on to um, this other story. This one, not so funny, really isn't. This is in Indiana. Listen to this. Now, in Indiana... There's a daycare director that's been accused of handing out melatonin to kids before nap time. This is a big deal. The director of a Cumberland daycare facility is facing charges after allegedly giving melatonin gummies to children without parental consent. Tanya Rochelle Voris, 52 years old, was director of Kids Life Child Care Ministry at New Life Church in Hancock County. She's since been fired from her position and is facing 11 counts of neglect uh, of a dependent and six counts of reckless supervision by a child care provider. Voris, V-O-R-I-S, was reported to police by the pastor of the church who told investigators the daycare was responsible for about 40 kids aged four and younger, according to the probable cause affidavit for her arrest. It began when one parent gave Voris permission to dispense melatonin to help their child fall asleep at nap time. Voris was pleased with the results of the melatonin and began administering it to many children without consent from their parents. Wow. So let's get this straight. You drop off your kid because you expect them to take, you know, at least as good care of you, uh, of your kid as you do, if not better. And voila, they're like, yeah, little Johnny. Oh, he's down for the count. Yeah, the, the melatonin wore off. So we're now giving him marijuana gummies. He's high as a kite, little Tommy, but he's out. I mean, what what can we expect next? Now, obviously, melatonin's over the counter and weed gummies are probably not, but uh, I think it, this goes to people acting up and doing things to other people's children that they shouldn't do. Now, of course, I am from the old school where, you know, it wasn't uncommon for somebody to grab you by the arm and say, hey, aren't you so-and-so's boy? You better cut it out. And that was totally accepted and, you know, commonplace. But now it's it's a different time. And this is why we have uh, so many of the problems we have, not the least of which is these people giving out melatonin gummies to these little kids. Now, listen, I take melatonin. Uh, I, I didn't always work in late night radio. I had other uh, time slots and late night radio. You got to get some, you got to get used to it. So, you know, sometimes I, I have caffeine that's a little bit later in the evening and it doesn't wear off at one o'clock Eastern when I sign off from the radio show and then I'm up all night. So I've, I take melatonin sometimes and sometimes it works like a charm. 
Other times it's not as effective, but it is very effective and it gives you some really good rest. I think I took one on Sunday, uh, a new brand that goes under your tongue and dissolves. And this thing had me out. Uh, I slept on my own for four hours. I took one when I woke up after four hours and I slept for another eight. I felt like a million bucks, like I was 15 years old when I woke up. So, I mean, and that's, I think it's five or 10 milligrams of melatonin that I took. Imagine what you can do to a kid with a little bit of uh, melatonin in a gummy. So that is an interesting um, state of affairs, to say the least, of what's going on with this melatonin in the uh, daycare center. Now, straight ahead, I want to talk about this aviation milestone. I just tweeted it, by the way, if you want to check it out, at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. An artificial intelligence model or system flew a modified F-16 fighter jet for over 17 hours. So I'm thinking, if we can fly an F-16 for 17 hours with AI, then uh, China can do balloons and drones and unidentified flying objects of all sorts. So we're going to take a look at this story as well straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. And plus, our phone number, uh, if you want to join us, 833-482-5337. 8334-VALDEZ is the phone number. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, happy Valentine's Day. The phone number is 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Galloway, New Jersey, and check in with Lance on WOND. Welcome, Lance. You're on with Rich Valdez. 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Galloway. I think Lance has his radio on, so he can't hear us. Lance, if you can hear me, lower your radio or turn it off, and uh, we'll come right back to you on WOND. Do we have Lance? No, there's no Lance. I guess we're waiting on Lance. <laughs> anyway, uh, this story about the F-16, um, listen to this. So the algorithm conducted multiple takeoffs and landings of the modified F-16 D-block 30-piece Marble II aircraft. And this was developed by DARPA's Air Combat Evolution, known as ACE or ACE program, And it flew this modified F-16 fighter for over 17 hours in December, according to uh, government officials. Then uh, the jet, a variable of of the uh, what they call in-flight simulation test aircraft or VISTA, took off from Edwards Air Force Base in California, making or marking, excuse me, the first time that the artificial intelligence had been used to fly a tactical aircraft. That's pretty interesting. So, I mean, we went from uh, two weeks ago talking about AI creating a sermon for a rabbi to um, being your lawyer in court in an earpiece to now we're talking about AI flying F-16s. I mean, this is amidst the time where we're dealing with um, runaway balloons that aren't so runaway 
and all sorts of unidentified flying objects that are now the government saying, look, that could be a balloon from a used car lot for all we know. I tell you, not good, no bueno. You know, uh, this is what happens when you give your kids too much melatonin. They they uh, they start, you know, thinking everything is a good idea. And um, let me see. There was one more story that I wanted to get to here that I thought was really interesting. Um, where did it go? Where did it go? Oh, it wasn't that. It was Governor Mike DeWine. Do I have time for DeWine? Barely, right? Well, yeah, anyway. It was an update from Governor Mike DeWine who was going to give an update on what is going on with the uh, the train that derailed and all these chemicals. And uh, basically his comment that the train was not considered a high-hazard material train. And I have to agree, with all those chemicals on board creating this big black cloud and whatnot, one would think, why not? But that's what's happening there. And I also want to say, look, I, I, I don't know much about Chernobyl. You know, I, I probably know as much as the next guy. Um I don't know that this is like Chernobyl. I don't know that this is the apocalypse. I think this is a bad accident, and I really hope it recovers. And, you know, people are saying their chickens are dying. It makes sense. you got chemicals that are in a controlled burn burning all over the place, and they've asked people to evacuate. So, I mean, I get it. Uh, I think that we're seeing some coverage. We're seeing regular updates. It's unfortunate. Uh, but I, I'm hearing so many different conspiracy theories, and I have to say I don't know that they're all entirely accurate. Um, it, it seems like... There's a lot more, um, a lot more stories out there than than there than there there is, right? Like they say, there is no there there. Uh, I don't think there's a there there. Anyway, so we'll we'll uh, keep you up to speed on that as we go into tomorrow. And um, thank you for nothing for not calling in with your Valentine stories. We did have Lance who had a Valentine story, but he had a phone problem. Uh, but I, I always look forward to hearing those stories uh, on holidays and whatnot. But it's been a pleasure, like always. Until the next time, hasta la próxima. Take care, good night, and God bless. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen.